Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the HR revolution or evolution, no matter what way you look at it. This is all about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And boy, have a lot of things changed since the pandemic. Um, we have conversations with thought leaders and experts within the field to really tell us and catch us up as to how they're staying ahead of the curve. What are they learning now? How are they using data? And how are they uh, trying to, to think outside the box to some of these challenges that most businesses are facing today? Uh, we do that through, again, conversations. And I have my co-host with me today to ask some fun questions. Uh, and it's Bobby Spaziani. Kevin, thank you. It's nice to be back on the pod again here. And uh, we have a very exciting guest today. Um, you know, just as a backing for maybe those who are listening for the first time, um, you know, Kevin and I started this podcast just a couple of years ago um, as a passion project. I think especially um, when the pandemic, you know, was in full force and, um, you know, the business, the C-suite executives really decided that they, they really started to need uh, HR as a part of their lives. So um, we're trying to help HR leaders, um, you know, kind of go from, um, you know, personnel advisors to, um, you know, the C-suite. So thanks, Kevin. Looking forward to today's conversation. And without further ado, we have Yona Shera from Wayfair as a People Analytics Senior Analyst for Wayfair. Yona, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's sunny. I'm based in Berlin. It's a sunny day. So yeah, it's great to be here. Well, it's, it's, it sounds like Berlin and uh, Rochester and Buffalo, New York have very similar weather patterns because we get just as excited when we see sun as well. <laughs> yeah. Yona, when I say the revolution of HR for the evolution of business, and you've gone through your own evolution as well, what does that mean to you? So uh, it means that the business transforms in such a fast pace, right? You have to keep ahead with your customers and you just move. But at the same time, you want your people to move at the same speed. So you need HR to adapt and to evolve uh, with you, right? So that you can actually serve your customers and produce the best value for your customers. That's that. what I understand with it. And then the, the, you touched on the value. We talk about purpose. We talk about all those types of things. But uh, typically, HR and uh, people analytics, uh, they think we have no lives outside of work, right? So uh, we'd like to get to know you a little bit more on a, on a more personal level. What is your favorite food that you've ever had? I love pasta. I just love all <laughs> you kinds of pasta. You and me both. like crowd. Two Italians over here. Yeah. So. Uh, okay, that's nice. Yeah, I I grew grew up in Albania, close to Italy, so lots of Italian food. That is, Bobby's parents love it so much they own our own Italian restaurant here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as Kevin mentioned, I think sometimes, you know, we get the, uh, you know, the, the perception that we don't have lives outside of work. So, so, you know, what do you like to do for fun when you have a, a free minute to spare? Uh, well, okay. When I have three minutes to spare, that's a good question. So I have, I have a small daughter, she's like four, so not, uh, not a lot, lot of time to spare whenever she's awake, but I usually love planning travel and also traveling afterwards, but planning travel is something that I really, really enjoy. Just finding cheap tickets, finding new places to visit, um, new towns, small towns. I really love visiting those. That is ah, so cool. It. Well, in saying in the travel space, I have to ask if you're such a world traveler, what is your favorite spot? I don't call myself a world traveler. Uh, just the world is so big, right? There's so much to see. But uh, the one of the places that I worked was recently, it was my dream place actually, was in Petra in Jordan. 
it was my dream to go there for like five years and I finally made it real and it, it was such a nice feeling seeing that ancient city and the culture there it was amazing that is so cool very Absolutely. cool excellent so uh, switching gears, now I want to know about your journey. Um, it, just like this show, this has kind of been my our own evolution or revolution, whatever way we look at it, is um, it's kind of been a journey for myself. I, I did not grow up into HR. Um, I had to actually work for a payroll company first to, to really get interested in this space. Um, and you kind of had a very similar journey. It, it was not You were not always in people analytics, but it looked like you kind of came into your own and realized the value of data from some of these other roles that you had. Can you kind of just take us back to those first couple of jobs? You don't have to mention any names, but just kind of how you evolved over time and then started to see the value of data in those roles. Yes, and, and let me know if this takes a lot of time because no, I can talk you for talk. like a long time. <laughs> so uh, uh, I grew up in Albania and I studied, I did my bachelor studies there. It's like a very small country, uh, not a lot of career advice, to be honest. All I knew is I, I love numbers, I love math, so I wanted to stay in the field. And it felt like the natural area thing to study uh, in my age there was finance. I don't know why that's what it felt like, right? I got into finance. I, I studied finance in my bachelor. I really enjoyed it. I did like a short internship um, in one of the big four companies. And I was like, I'm not sure if this is the career that I want. And then after I finished my bachelor studies, I applied for like a big uh, multinational telecommunication company in my country. And the nice thing is that I was hired in the company, but I didn't know which team I was hired in. So the way it worked is they, they would offer you um, a role somewhere in, inside the company. And I was hoping for something in finance or marketing. That's where I saw myself at the time, uh, really getting into marketing more actually. Um, and actually there was this role in HR in doing payroll and compensation. Uh, there was a vacancy in the team. They needed someone with like a finance background and they actually offered it to, to one of my friends who was hired with me first. Uh, she also had studied finance and they said, you want to join in HR and so, and she said no, because she wants to stay into finance. So I was their second option. They came to me and they said, would you like to take over this role? And um, I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, it could be nice. Uh, I, I like trying new things. So I accepted with the idea that I could stay there like six months and then switch. And I actually stayed there for like six years. Wow. So you can <laughs> realize that it was like, a very good experience for me. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and it was the best decision I could have taken. Um, I didn't stay in the same role for those six years. So I did like a bunch of different stuff. Um, I started, as you said, with doing a payroll, doing a compensation, benefits, lots of headcount planning, organization effectiveness stuff. So HR metrics from the beginning, actually. Um, so since the beginning, I've been more in the analytical side of HR. Uh, I grew up there taking always like more responsibility, more ownership, handling bigger projects gradually. And then after like four years in that kind of space, like organization effectiveness, compensation, I, I was in a point where I was like, I'm not sure what I want to do next, right? Uh, I, I know I like staying in HR, so it felt like a, nice, a good, good thing, but I didn't see myself in, uh, in an HR um, HR uh, people officer, let's say, uh, career path. So it was, it was difficult for me to imagine that. Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted to try a little bit the other side of HR, like talent development. Mm -hmm. And when the opportunity came, I switched roles and I moved into talent and did uh, learning and development. And there, 
was where it was clear to me that no, I cannot, I do not want the traditional HR career path. I want something different, more analytical. Uh, and yeah, trying to find out what I like, I found out about people analytics and it was like, oh, this is like the best of both worlds for me, you know, working for people, being in HR, but also using data and analytics, that's, that's such a nice thing. And from that moment on, it's been like a constant learning journey for me. Uh, lots of online learnings, lots of trainings since then. That is such a cool experience. So many takeaways from that. Um, so, you know, we, we talk a lot, you know, we joke around, uh, how'd you get into HR? I fell into HR. You know, you truly fell into HR. That, <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, is hilarious. Um, I also love what you said about kind of taking that non-traditional path, because I think when, 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 you know, students are studying HR, they think that's, that's kind of what you have to go for, right? You have to go into that HR business partner, generalist role and kind of, you know, grow up in the organization and work to that chief people officer role or whatever your organization calls it. Um, but there are all these, you know, smaller ancillary groups um, that support HR as well. I kind of want to get into your, your background specifically within those spaces, you know, organizational effectiveness, total rewards, compensation. How do you feel like that journey helped prepare you for this people analytics role? I think it's been crucial and it's been like an additional value for me compared to like other skills that we have in the team, like right now, we have a lot of data analysts, uh, but sometimes it's so difficult to gain that HR understanding uh, when you come from that profile. It's something that you can only gain through experience. So I think that's been very beneficial. I've learned data uh, analytics on my own, like doing online learnings, um, actually did like an internal transfer in the company to move outside of HR world for like a while, like a year and a half, I moved to doing business analytics um, in the company side, which was like, completely different challenge um but that helped me kind of practice some of my data analytics skills but you can learn that you can learn that on your own but you cannot learn uh, the understanding from what you learn from being on the truly hr side uh for things so I, that helped me a lot i i love that and i want to kind of keep diving deeper into that because a couple of things that you said is it's hard to gain the experience without living it and that's that that's what we refer to as like that intellectual and social capital that a lot of people have these experiences but i would love to know too as you mentioned the business analytics side now how are you connecting those dots and how how did that experience help you even to know what data to look at but i think also what you were referring to is what questions you need to ask of the data a data analyst, mm -hmm. if I ask my buddy, a boss, uh, who is a data analytics, uh, analytics, and he's proficient in R, and if I asked him and just gave him a data set of HR, he wouldn't know what to tell me from that data until I told him, I need to know this. I want to see what this answer is. I want to know this question or the answer to this question. Um, and I think that's kind of what you were getting through, that now you know what to look for, where to look, and what questions to ask. How did that business, a year and a half on the business side, now paired with people analytics, how much more dangerous has that made you? Uh, I, I think it was such a nice thing. First of all, just being on the business side and seeing HR from a different perspective, because that HR was my first real experience. Like I, that's how I had seen things for like six years. And then I move out of it. And I see that as an employee, you don't see the full HR, right? You just see... Very those internal cool. communications coming in so that's all you see from HR you only interact with them through an internal calm or uh, a new I don't know if there's a salary increase maybe or like maybe performance but you never really see what the work that they do every day 
I, I think that's sad a little bit because I do want more of the work to be shown so that people can actually understand how much effort is put behind. I think we're, we're not showing that enough. So that is one thing. And second, it helped me understand how much I enjoyed working in HR in that perspective. Uh, you're very distant to your customers when you work in your business analytics. So it's just data for you sometimes. You know, if you just work with those, it's numbers. There's a lot of financial interest afterwards. Uh, so you, the, the goal there is to make the business more profitable, right? Well, what I enjoyed about people analytics and the HR side is that there's the goal is not to be more profitable, like to have more money or like higher prices, is to actually truly make people more engaged, you know, uh, to be at their best. So that's what I really enjoy. And I, I feel like you can have so much impact in the HR side uh, and doing people analytics the impact is because you're going to have impact to people you actually stay with, uh, work with closely every day. So I, I, that's what I love about and, this. And that is 100% why I fell in love with it for the diversity, equity, and inclusion part of it. Uh, I, I yeah. Once we kind of saw that, and that was the same time I was getting my certification in people analytics, was it was like, oh, this is it. Like, you know, this is the opportunity to rebuild trust is through transparency of the data. But then there are these opportunities that businesses miss quite frequently that there are these win-win or win-win-win scenarios where the business wins, the individual wins, and all stakeholders win. But they just don't have all the information, and 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 typically they rely on the financials um, too heavily because, in in most organizations, that's the only information that leadership is given. How else are they able to to really make decisions and 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 kind of set that path forward? Bobby, what did you have? Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I love that response there. You know, in in people analytics, it's not always you know it's not necessarily about turning a profit, but it's about that employee engagement piece. So, you know, I kind of want to talk about maybe some of the work that that you're doing today. And we know in this job market, right? I mean, candidates um, can you know kind of leave whenever they want, right? And they they you know employees have the ability to go out and and find a job you know anywhere else if they so choose to do so. Um, how are you? Um, kind of connecting people analytics to the employee experience today, making sure that your your teammates are engaged each and every day that they come into work. Um, and, you know, like just just talk a little bit about where your focus is today around employee engagement and, um, and attraction. Well, I think first is like trying to find those listening touch points, like listening to employees, the moment they're working for us, the moment they decide to to leave our company like have, having those listening surveys ongoing trying to gather gather the insights and then you know trying to find what's what's impactful you have we have like a lot of data going on like what's truly impactful out of this uh what are the key uh, experience um traits that we can actually use to retain our people and to help them feel at their best while working for us uh also we work a lot of diversity and equity and inclusion, as you said, that's like a huge focus for us. We, we put like a lot of hours into that. And that's something that we all enjoy working on because as you said, we, we think that can have like a huge value for our employees. So we're very committed to DEI. And I think we're also very innovative when it comes to DEI. Um, so like development is something that we've been exploring uh, every time more. I think there's a lot of a lot of things don't need to be analyzed when it comes to development because there's a lot of textbook, right? You know that people you grow internally would perform better than people that are just hired externally and so on. But sometimes you just need to prove that, you know, we just need to show those data to be able to take leadership uh, leadership attention. It's 
it's not surprising. Sometimes the findings are like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? It's, we should have known that. But it's nice having that proven with data so that you can actually um, have decisions around it. Well, you, I think you touched on the L&D and development, like just, just that focus, because really this is an emphasis of a lot of businesses. And, and if it's not yet, I can already tell you they're way behind, as we all know, but you're either buying, renting, growing, or botting talent. And, and right now, when there's, at least in the United States, and I believe it's it's globally, there's, there's more jobs than people right now. So you have to embrace AI and technology to try to automate some of these positions that, that may no longer be necessary, those skills no longer necessary. Um, but a lot of it goes into the development component. And I just haven't seen um, in the small, medium, and, and, and some large businesses, not enough intention as it, it, it focus on really how do I take somebody and develop them into uh, something that I, I need. Um, and a lot of it I see around like the reassessing of effectiveness of training to your point. I, I feel like we there's five different styles of learning or some say seven different styles of learning, but yet we keep trying this catch-all approach. Um, and that's really where I see the power of data too, it is to start organizations to fine tune that development program so they can take somebody off the street and develop them in some, some, some serious talent. And we know companies um, like enterprise here uh, is a great example of how they're able to take college graduates and turn them into to floor managers within two years. It's like, how did you guys do that? But how are you um, knowing that you came from that world? What do you look at from an analytics perspective to really track development or identify potential development gaps within the organization from a workforce planning perspective? Uh, I think there's much more we can do in this space, to be honest. So I think we're still relatively in the beginning stages we, we haven't done everything it's it's a complex topic i think mm -hmm. from from everything in people analytics like the development one is the most challenging to analyze sometimes what we've tried to do is like prove the value of developing internally versus hiring externally you know as a growing company you default to like hiring all the time so you need to um for different levels of employees like try to prove the value of actually developing your people internally mm -hmm. how much they're worth uh, and how risky it is sometimes to just hire externally compared to internal development. So that's what we're, where we've tried to focus. That is really, really cool. And, and some organizations make it like Wegmans here, we always say only hires from within and you've probably seen the, the various benefits and, and that's, and that's what it's, uh, it's, 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 that would be awesome to, to hear and continue to, to anal analyze because I think that's a, a question that a lot of businesses are asking themselves right now. But to your point, it's it's a very tough thing to measure, um, right? Because you're you're measuring internal employees, some of those you know some of those uh, intangible things like you know this employee already understands the company culture, um, you know they kind of understand the org structure, so you know there are all of those things that might you know give that employee an advantage over hiring somebody mm -hmm. internally. But you know how do you actually put numbers behind that? I think it's it's excellent. Um, you talked about uh, listening to the employee, and I think that's extremely important. Um, the majority of our guests that come on this show um, at, at some point during our conversation, you know, bring that phrase up to us, you know, how important it is to listen to the employee. Um, what are some of the things, you know, without getting into, you know, kind of how you're, how you're making the sauce, right? What are some of the things that you're putting together, your team is putting together from an analytics standpoint, just based off of employee feedback? Because I think there was a period of time where, you know, we were able to bring feedback to leadership 
um, but we weren't able, able to necessarily measure that or put numbers or metrics behind it. How are you doing that today? Uh, so we have some listening initiatives. So we have like engagement surveys that run uh, now every six months, let's say, uh, on a recurring basis. And also we have like uh, surveys that go in for people who join us, like during their onboarding. We have surveys that go out for people who are deciding to leave us. So we try to analyze all, all those data and also try to understand from all the questions what are some, let's say, key drivers of engagement. So that's what the team has been has been focusing on, uh, and also like seeing how we, we use those data also as uh, as insights in different analysis, whether it's about development, like how engagement and development connect together, or engagement and, and inclusion connect together. So we, we, we use that as a source also for like different kinds of research, whether it's about retention, if it's about development or DEI. So it's not just about only the feedback that we get at the moment, but also tying it to other data. I think it's very, um, very helpful. Excellent. Those are really cool. But it's it's opening up those lines and, 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 and multiple lines of communication, right? But that continuous mm -hmm. feedback, I think, is what has what has been missing. I mean, performance management for the longest time was once a year check-in, you know, and I tell people all the time, I can't even hardly remember what I had for dinner last night, let alone what somebody did for me that day. And yeah. we're judging somebody's entire year on one conversation. And um, and that's really where I wanted to kind of go next was the rewards and recognition, but also the compensation. You had both, right? So you got to see both sides from a data perspective or from a gut instinct perspective on what you notice. It's a compensation war right now. We're seeing people cash in their, their years of experience for more money than they have ever anticipated, right? What do you think has a, a stronger engagement bond? Is it the comp specifically? Or is it the war rewards and recognition? I don't think you can retain people with comp, to be honest. Uh, I do believe it's about rewards, but it's about recognition, honestly. Uh, I see, I felt that all myself. And also like when we ask people like whether they would leave for a better compensation, we still get like a lot of people saying that they would prefer to stay, you know? Uh, it, it's a lot of things that make you leave a company or decide to stay in a company. Mm -hmm. It's your manager, it's your team, it's just how good you feel with your overall balance. Like it's not a good, it's not an easy decision to decide to, to leave a company, especially right now. It's such an unsecure work environment, like a lot of companies doing layoffs, you know, with um, it's not easy to navigate all these challenges and starting everything from the beginning. So I think compensation alone is not enough to attract someone. Yeah. To make that decision. I think yeah, and I, I, I see that too. And you mentioned balance and I think we're starting to talk about holistic wellness. I mean, when I first joined the yeah. working world, I mean, it was physical well-being was, I mean, just about it, right? <laughs> it was like, leave all your issues at the door. And now it's like, uh, wow, how silly was that? Or, and, and I think we're just simply becoming more aware potentially. Um, yeah. I think the access to the information, the access to, to some of these data, points, um, but also the scientific research that's starting to really come out and put an emphasis on the, the, the on all well-being, both both mental, physical, emotional, financial, social, and, and career, and how important they are to, to the well-being of that individual, both personally and professionally. And I think that's really what we're talking about is the recognition is free in most cases. It could be. Um, and I always felt that that was a stronger emotional response than money itself, because everybody uses money differently. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of the what were some of the things that um, you saw to like in your career from a rewards perspective? What were some of the most I guess strongest um, tools that you guys had at the time to 
to boost retention and engagement? Uh, you mean from like overall my experience in early words? Yeah, just the overall experience of what you've seen. Have you, has anything really stuck out to you as like this? I always recommend no matter what company or organization that I go to because I've seen the success that it's had. Yeah, I think uh, trying to find different schemes that some being standard, like global, that can apply to all employees, but also allowing that, allowing that flexibility to managers to keep like instant recognition at the moment, sometimes even financially, that's something that's been very interesting and we've tried in the past in my previous company, like allowing, let's say, financial budget to managers to be able to recognize people, not just during performance reviews or with bonuses like once a year, but just at the moment, you know, for a good project that they've done or things like that. I think that that's a good way. Uh, but I feel like the, one of the best retention measures that also has also worked with me is giving people exposure, actually. It's more than rewards and, and benefits and compensation, but like allowing them to, um, to opt into like broad or, broad or challenging projects where they can work like cross-functionally, where they can grow, where they can like handle important stuff. So that's what kept me in HR, actually, because I was able to have those projects. And I think that's the best way to rating people. Like, allow them to grow by working with other people, by doing things that can have an impact. Makes all the sense in the world. More. I couldn't yeah. agree more with that statement. Couldn't agree more That's awesome to hear you say that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it, it sometimes we take it for granted, just expanding scope mm -hmm. or, or getting somebody involved in a side project where they can utilize different skills than what they do in their day job. It's, it's extremely important. I also think, you know, that going back to that employee listening, right? When we talk about total rewards and compensation, that's why those exit surveys and some of those other that those other data points that you're collecting are, I think are so important because it's never a one size fits all approach. You know, no. what, what motivates me, you know, is going to be different from what motivates you from what motivates Kevin, you know, at different stages or, or points of our career lives. So um, yeah, I, I love that conversation. We could probably talk all day about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, I was just kind of, I, I was sort of interested because sometimes, you know, as Kevin mentioned before the show, you know, our audience members, we get, you know, individuals that are at the HR leadership level, but we also get a lot of um, students that are kind of studying HR or, or sort of breaking into human resources for the first time, like you did years ago. So um, kind of a two-pronged question. Where do you see the evolution of people analytics going? And then, you know, it's kind of a, a side question to that where's the white space in that function today that you think, you know, some of our, you know, younger professionals can, can sort of break in? Um, first of all, I, what I find challenging in people analytics is that, especially when trying to navigate career in this field is that every company is different, right? Every company does people analytics different. And I've tried to like um, join like meetups or webinars to see like best practices. And whenever they talk about how they do people analytics, it's always like a different practice from what you've seen in your company or other companies. So uh, what I expect is like in the longer term, have a better understanding of how we want to do that. I think it's gonna be easier for people to actually think of their career there because you don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. If you are to leave a company and join people analytics in the other company, you don't, it, it could be like very reporting level. It could be very mature and very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So different, different stages. Um, there and then like white space i think an interesting area is like um so there's a lot of data produced there's a lot of insights i think where sometimes the gap is is translating this data to the business and i think we will need more kind of business partners 
in the people analytics space as well. So people who are able to translate this data uh, to business leaders, uh, to follow up with action plans, you know, to be able to implement, to, to make decisions afterwards. So that it's not just slides or PowerPoints, mm -hmm. it's not just charts, but it is actually about decisions and actions afterwards. Yeah, it's one thing to put the data, you know, together, right? It's the next thing to kind of translate that to the yes. business. And that's, yeah, excellent. Otherwise, and I know there are companies dashboard. that are doing this. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I see that I see like the dashboard creation was enough and to your point is like when you say people analytics or just data, it, it, it really matters on the organization because some people consider a report that is two weeks old data right and yeah. and other people say well what's data without action without insights but you need insights in order to take action right and and yeah. and some of these things is 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 um, I think that is the hardest part to people analytics because it's a relatively new science. And the science that uh, the people that typically have that experience within analytics, specifically within R, within Tableau, within Python, have never had the experience on the business side that you earlier pointed out, whether it's from HR, whether it's just business in general, right? Um, so therefore, it's, they're still talking in, in almost two different languages, essentially, and they're not really sure as to what visuals or what graphics are really going to make uh, the most impact. And yes, I believe visuals to be extremely important within data, but I think the ability to explain it and make it relevant to that person, whether they're in finance, whether they're in operations, whether they're the senior leadership team is very different on how you communicate that. And I love yeah. that. And I think that really matters on how successful um, that they are, because to your point there, I've, I've seen data teams that are just uh, report generators, right? Um, and they're not really taking that information and saying, hey, we should look, we should dive deeper here. Um, and if it's such a foreign um, subject within the organization, they're not going to know enough to ask either. So my yeah. question to you, it's a long winded question, but it's a really important one is the first conversations that you're starting to have with a particular division leader or somebody that you're just working on a, starting a project with. What types of questions will you ask to really understand what do they want and where is a low-hanging fruit project that you potentially could, could help to drive an impact and develop that relationship or that bond or trust, if you will? Um, one question that we've de developed in the team, like, which is like a practice, because when you share data, especially in the people analytics space, it's kind of dangerous because there's such a huge appetite. People are not used to getting data about people. So it's like, whenever you share something, it's like, is there more, is there more, is there more? So uh, whenever we get like a lot of requests about this or diving deeper, it's like, what would you do if you had those data? So that's the question that we try to ask every time we get a request. It's like, okay, let's suppose we have all these insights. What would you do with them? And I love this practice from the team. And it's something that I've tried to ask whenever we get like complicated, questions or research questions. Uh, and we're not sure what the outcomes or the impact is going to be. Wow. I think that's, it's like, it, it, Great you're, yeah, I mean, you're, because you're, you are, you're, you're taking it to the next level. Just with that question, you're, you're allowing that leader to envision exactly mm -hmm. what's going to happen, the actions that are going to follow um, from mm -hmm. that data. And then I'm sure it helps you. So, you know, that you're not just, you know, you and your team aren't just spinning your wheels, pulling, pulling those metrics for that individual. Yeah. And I've, I've been in cases when I've heard like leaders say, you know what, it, you're right. I don't think there's much we can do with that. You know, and, and I've been in these conversations where they have a knowledge that 
yeah, it's more like a good to know thing, but I don't think I would take an action on that. Maybe because it just doesn't make sense to take an action. Hmm. Yeah, you could pivot your focus, you know, elsewhere. Yeah. 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 So I, I know you mentioned, you know, that when you're looking or you're talking, you know, you're, you're getting involved with different associations or folks, you know, cross industry, there's really not that kind of common language or, you know, that, that different people analytics functions are speaking. Everybody kind of does it a little differently. Um, but is there sort of that particular area of people analytics across industry, um, you know, globally that people analytics functions are focusing on today? Like, is it, is it employee experience? Is it attraction? Um, is it, you know, retention? What's, what, what's, where do you see most people analytics functions and your peers across industry really kind of placing their focus? Yeah, I think uh, employee listening and engagement and experience has, is typically where they usually start. Mm. Um, getting understanding about how employees feel, whether they're engaged, and then moving more into retention from that perspective, like how can we retain them by making them feel more engaged and so on. Um, DI is also an area like even like smaller companies want to explore like uh, it, it's and I'm, I'm happy to see that that area is quite typical in people analytics, where I think uh, there is a difference is like ONA like organization network analysis that's something that not, not every company has embraced yet so and I, I, it makes sense because it requires like a certain level of maturity to work with uh, with that level of analysis. Um, but I don't think I've heard a lot around attraction. Um, so I think that's something that's definitely worth exploring from what I've, from what I've seen. I, I think the focus has mostly been around attrition, especially last year's where we had like a lot of people in the market uh, leave and so re retention, like retention mm. and development. I'm surprised that attraction has not yet been a focus due to the amount of money that's being thrown towards it right now. You know, with, uh, with the, I know indeed is not cheap and you, you pay even somebody, if somebody just clicks on that, and then we have all these mm -hmm. external marketing campaigns now. Yeah. And I have to ask, well, I guess a twofold question, were you interested in marketing originally because it was very data driven at that time? Um, it was more about customer experience. I'm okay. very customer obsessed as a person, like even in HR, that's what I enjoy. Like I, I want to make my customers, which are employees, I want to make them happy. I want to make life easy for them. So that's what I enjoyed about marketing, how to make customers mm -hmm. happy, customer experience, attraction a lot, like branding. It was my, one of my favorite topics to explore. Mm -hmm. Then I don't think you're, I think that's, that's a key asset and it's no different to the attraction game today because we talk about public yeah. relations, we talk about marketing and really at the end of the day, it's now becoming a sale if you really look at it. So if we're not yeah. providing the feature advantage benefits and, and all these things that I've known my whole career up until I got into this field, um, it really is a sale at this point. So I, I would love to see what some of the data analytics and people analytics space looks at when they start looking at effectiveness of attraction. And then just selection, I think, is another area that is a real interesting part of the puzzle because I, in 2022, am still not believing that a resume is the best determinant of, of success within an organization. I feel like there's got to be a better science, a better tools out there, which some I know about, but that we're just still using pieces of paper to identify who is a good fit within our organization and who isn't. So it's sad, for, even from a DE&I perspective. 
I wanted to go back though, because um, I see myself very similarly to you. I'm customer obsessed, customer focused. And that's really why I started to love HR because I was passed over for promotions. Then I got obsessed with, well, why do we promote who we promote? And then you start asking more and more questions. It sounds like you were starting to ask yourself a lot of questions during your journey and you took it upon yourself to upskill and reskill yourself. I wanted to ask for somebody that is also kicking the can or interested in starting down this path, is there any resources that you would suggest to the audience that they look at and they start? Because it sounds like you have self-taught yourself quite a bit there, Yana. Yeah, I, I did actually. Um, <laughs> I, I started by building an app for it. Uh, like I lived in a small country. There was no career opportunity for people analytics there. So I had to look elsewhere like in Europe so I had no other option so I started just building networks and like connecting with people analytics in the space people analytics people in the space and um just be, I, I think I have like a big network right now and that helps because whenever there's like a nice event like a meetup or like a conference or a new learning I can easily get access to it because I see people post it and share it mm -hmm. so that helps a lot like create that network first um there is a lot of online learning which can help you explore but uh, try to also put it into practice. If you can also move like into a more analytical role, if you're coming from an HR world, try an analytical world uh, role, see, like try to put it into practice and see how that helps you as well. I think it's a constant, there's, people analytics has requires such a huge mix of skills. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the roles with the biggest mix of skills. You need to be very good at communication, like data visualization, data analysis, stakeholder management, um, I don't know, storytelling. So it's it's like a lot of things. Uh, it's difficult to find all of that in the same person. Also like have an understanding of HR and everything else at the same time. So yeah. yeah, diversify your skill set with uh, as much as you can, like um, data visual visualizations, data analysis, communication, anything that you can. I love that. what you said just about the networking part of it, though. Like, that's where you started. So then you can yeah. do, like, how to have conversations, ask people yeah. questions, I presume, ask them what resources were most valuable to them. And we continue to see this social connection in this community to, to come back back again um, of how important that is, not only in the business world, but here it is on your personal side as well to, to, to impact your professional, which is, which is awesome. I think, you know, and, and we're also in an environment where, where oftentimes you hear specialize, 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 mm -hmm. and it's like, no, 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 like the true value is what you said, Yana, is diversifying your skill set, mm -hmm. um, making sure that you're, you're marketable in more ways than one. Um, I, I think I can speak for both of us. I can talk about this forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, we, we could stay on this, on this line for, for hours, um, but I know that, that you have a busy life to get back to. <laughs> Um, you know, and Kevin and I have a couple things to do as well, I guess. But um, what I want to do, what we wrap up question for you that we ask all of our guests, um, where do you see the future of HR, the future of work in general? Well, uh, that's a nice question. I think, first of all, we're definitely at a crossroad, right? There's a lot going on right now. It's been, these two years have been very dynamic, very different. And I think to look forward, I'd like us to look back. And I've been trying to understand like where, how did the eight hour work they actually start, you know? So I've been Googling, how did it start? And I realized it actually started like 200 or more than hundred years ago during the industrial revolution. So that's how the eight hour work they started. And at the time people were using their hands to work, right? 
hands, feet, eyes, I don't know. But uh, right now we're, we're in a workplace where majority of us use our brains and our work style, work life is, lifestyle is so different right now compared to like 200 years ago. And you think we're still using that model to work now. There's no way that could work, right? Uh, there's no way like such an old model can work when we're, when, when we're using very new technologies like latest technologies and everything else. And so our brains continue working after the eight hours. It's not, you cannot stop them from working. So we, we continue processing information. So it's very difficult. So I, I really hope we're going into more flexible, more personalized works, workplace where people can have options to choose. So it's not like a one size fits all. That's, I'm sure that's not gonna work like the eight hour work day for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. It should be more personalized. Um, it should be much more flexible, much more dynamic. And I think people should have a say on how they want, they want to work. I'll sign up for that. Mm -hmm. and, and I just love the eight hour. It's, it's funny, just like you, I went back in history when I got interested in all this stuff. And then you start seeing why, right? And then uh, I, I traced it back to, to Henry Ford with the, the line and the yes. automation, right? And it's like, holy cow, he was the one that came up with this. And it's like, how have we not, and to your point, the technology itself, it's when you're doing the same task all day, it's almost like your brain goes into uh, uh, homeostasis, uh, uh, autopilot, if you will. Um, but when you're working and getting emails of different varieties and different sorts, and then you're working and processing all this information, it's truly not eight hours. It, it could be 12 hours. And mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I don't know about you, about that, that uh, four, four day work weeks, uh, the biggest study mm -hmm. in the world currently about to be conducted in the UK. I'm really excited about that. And I think they're going to find similar things that they did in Iceland. Um, and, 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 and that's what I'm really excited about to see is like, okay, it's not about the number of hours. It's about the quality of work within those that time frame that you have that individual. And I think because of the supply and demand, I think we're only going to be forced that way and why we've been predicting the gig economy to really rise um, and continue to rise. So, Yana, I know I really appreciated my time with you today. This was a fascinating conversation. I'm so glad that we had you on there here because it seems like you have had a very similar journey to Bobby and myself as to how we found our interest really into people. Um, but then the data perspective to be able to talk business so we can really find those win-win-win scenarios and, and enable the success of everybody. And I think to your point, when you're in HR and your customer truly is the employee, but then your client is the business, it's really hard to, to find and strike that balance. But data, I think, is, is really the key and the answer to that uh, quagmire, if you will. So I really want to say thank you so much for agreeing to be on our show. Thank you for 50 minutes of your precious, valuable time. And uh, this was a, a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It was, uh, I enjoyed the conversation. It was like a lot of fun. And I always actually enjoyed talking about people analytics and my journey here. Thank you.